This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is September the 4th, 2019. Episode 133 of Bitcoin and... Where are we going today? I don't know, man. I'm still feeling under the weather, dudes. Um, God, picked up some kind of stomach bug or or something. I mean, I, it shouldn't surprise me, though, because, you know, my kids are back in school and it's elementary school, you know, where their ages are. And pretty much you can just, it's just a thing with preschool, you know, daycare, preschool, pre-K, kindergarten, elementary um, it's a Petri dish. You send it. I mean, if they're in school, public or private, and there's a whole bunch of kids there, it's a Petri dish. And yes, my immune system is, is it, it doesn't matter how strong it got during preschool and kindergarten. It's still always continuously being challenged and, and it is what it is. So I am I am deeply, deeply sorry about the fact that I did not give a Friday show. And then uh, we had Memorial Day or not Memorial Day. My God, I can't even, even my brain has the flu, I guess. Um, Labor Day, which I did a big old brisket and it, oh my God, that thing came out so, so good. So, okay. Um Another announcement from the uh, personal side is that uh, one of one of my two cats that we rescued about three or four, probably about four years ago, uh, they were twin sisters and they were abandoned by their mothers. So we 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 took them in, but I mean they were so young. We we really thought that we were just going to give them a warm, dry place to die because their eyes were barely open. And it's, I mean, it's a crapshoot. When, when you take on cats that young, it is an absolute crapshoot as whether or not they're going to live. And more likely than not, you get them that young, even if you're trying to bottle feed them, I mean, they, they end up dying of dehydration because they're, they're just too young. They're not on their mother's milk. And it's, it was a miracle that not only one, but both of them survived. And they have been, you know... They've been the greatest of cats, but one of them decided to go AWOL, little son of a bitch. And, you know, now I've got, I, I got our other little rescue, you know, rescue kitty that I was telling y'all about a, like a couple of months ago, and she's doing fine. But I worry about the twin sister of the of snowman, the cat that has gone AWOL because they grew up together. And, you know, that's, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope she comes back and she's just prowling, but you're talking about a cat that grew up in a house and we live in a relatively r- kind of rural, you know, edge rural setting kind of city, kind of on the edge. 
And so I'm worried about her. So, you know, if you like send some positive energy, you know, to snowman to have her, you know, maybe suggest to the universe that snowman possibly get her shit together and come home. That would be just fine with me. All right. What's going on in the world? Let's find out. Well, the SEC settles charges with crypto token issuers accused of fraud. That's the headline from Nicholas Day writing for Coindesk.com. This was like, you know, August the 29th, so it's a little bit old, but let's go through it. The United States Security and Exchange Commission settled charges with crypto exchange BitQuick and its founders alleging that they committed fraud with different Two, sorry, two different token sales. According to a press release Thursday, BitQuick founders Bruce Beese and Sam Mendez raised $13 million by selling BitQY and BitQYM tokens to more than 13,000 investors in unregistered securities offerings. The SEC alleged that the defendants told investors that BitQY, BitQui, I guess it's BitQui tokens, would provide fractional shares of BitQui K stock through a smart contract, while BitQui M tokens would provide investors interest in a crypto mining facility. The SEC also alleged that the defendants misrepresented Quick Deals, a daily deals platform using BitQui. This is ridiculous. As a global online marketplace, and the defendants didn't actually own any mining facilities. On top of these charges, the SEC also alleged that the defendants operated an unregistered exchange, TradeBQ, to allow investors to trade BitQY or BitQui, whatever this freaking thing is. Investors allegedly received $4.5 million for referring new investors to BitQuick, but collectively lost more than two-thirds of their investment in the Dallas-based company, the press release stated in a statement SEC Fort Worth Regional Office Director David Peevler said digital investment assets can be appealing, particularly to investors who believe they are receiving partial ownership through their token. He added, quote, we allege that the defendants took advantage of investors' appetite for these investments and fraudulently raised millions of dollars by lying about their business. (gasps) Shocker. The SEC filed for permanent injunctions, civil monetary penalties, and the return of all gains with interest, which the defendants agreed to. BitQuick will pay a civil penalty of $8.5 million on top of disgorgement and prejudgment interest. Beast will pay $890,000, and Mendez will pay $850,000. The Texas State Securities Board and the State of Hawaii Office of the Securities Commission assisted the SEC's Fort Worth office in investigating the defendants. Why Hawaii? That's bizarre. The SEC has settled charges with nearly 40 crypto startups which have conducted token sales over the past few years, according to an SEC database. The agency is currently suing messaging platform Kick on charges that its $100 million Kin token sale in 2017 was an unregistered security offering. So, okay. Look. We're all supposed to be like, you know, hands off, government hands off, government hands off. But these are scams and they're, they're open scams. It's very clear that these are all open scams. So the question becomes this, is this all just cost of doing business for scammers? I mean, because from my take on, on this whole thing with the SEC at this point is that all they're doing is taking bribes to not send anybody to fucking jail. 
And until they send somebody to fucking jail, this shit's going to continue because this is just end, is going to end up being simply cost of doing business. You'll enter it in on, you know, you could probably just enter it in on your balance sheet. Uh, lawsuit litigation costs. You know, it, the space is going to be kind of stifled. It, it, it'll grow. It'll grow in spite of this kind of BS, but not as fast as it could. And because scammers are everywhere and just like the bankers in 20, you know, 2008, uh, nobody's going to go to jail except for those that there was a handful of bankers. And I believe it was Iceland that they were the only people that had the balls to put suits in prison. And as far as I know, they're still there, but everybody else, everybody else got a pass. So just be aware people, this, chicanery is always going to happen. And until these, you know, the people that are supposedly not taking bribes to make sure people don't go to, to let people out of jail or not, not have to go to jail, it will continue because it will just be a line item cost of doing business. Colin Harper is writing for Bitcoin magazine. Oh God. Okay. Coin pledges 1000 Bitcoin to developers working on Bitcoin and it's forks. Now this is causing some, this dropped yesterday. This was, was written on September the 3rd and already, already it is causing a shitstorm of immense proportion. And, you know, Jimmy song is, is kind of, his name's been attached to it as well as a whole bunch of other people. And it's really right at this point, it's really messy. Okay, because there's some big name actors and they're kind of we're not sure yet. I mean, because this is all kind of developing and we're not exactly sure what's going on. But let's see what Colin Harper has to say about all this. One of the world's leading cryptocurrency exchanges is pledging millions of dollars to support Bitcoin's independent developer community. But hold on to your gas mask, toxic maximalists, because it's spreading the wealth to Bcash and BSV devs too. What, all four of them? OKCoin announced its Let's Build Bitcoin Together campaign today, September the 3rd, 2019, which promises that the exchange will donate 1,000 BTC. Right now, that's worth anywhere between $9.5 and $10 million, depending on Bitcoin's daily mood to certain developers working on Bitcoin. Apparently, this Build Bitcoin Together Kumbaya also includes Bitcoin's most notorious forks quote the vote driven initiative pledges to donate up to 1000 BTC to the developers of Bitcoin Bcash and BSV according to a press release from OKCoin shared with Bitcoin magazine OKCoin users can vote to fund Bitcoin Bcash or BSV and the final tally will be divided among a handful of developers and organizations representing each project For developers working in free and open source software, funding is often paltry or nil, and Bitcoin is no exception. Most developers are volunteers who work on Bitcoin with no promise of compensation. Some who began working for free, like Peter Woola, 
they spelled his name wrong, damn it. It's P-E-I-T-E-R, I believe. And much of Blockstream's team moved on to having their work bankrolled by Bitcoin companies, but many still work for next to nothing. Quote, funding for FOSS, free open source devs, is very important, but it is hard to find a good model that remains fair and sustainable. Former Bitcoin Core contributor and Cifrex CEO Eric Lombroso told Bitcoin Magazine, to this end, the developers or organizations that OKCoin has selected are independent and lack any central funding. For Bitcoin, this includes Luke Dash Jr., Ben Woosley, Michael Ford, Shores Provost, Jonas Schnelli, and Jimmy Song. Notably, no individual developers were chosen to represent Bcash or BSV, only organizations. Potential beneficiaries for Bcash include the teams behind its primary full node implementation. Bitcoin ABC, BCHD, and Bitcoin Unlimited, while Jimmy Wynn's Bitcoin Association and Ella Quang's Cambrian SV are vying for the BSV allocation of the pledge. According to the press release, OKCoin chose these individuals and entities because they are verified individuals or organizations who fulfilled the specifications of the initiative. Chosen as they were by the exchange, OKCoin is leaving the actual funding allocation to the community. You can vote for which developer or organization you think best deserves the funding on OKCoin's website. Each vote equals 0.2 BTC in funding, quote, or the BCH or BSV equivalent. In quote, a disclaimer at the bottom of an OKCoin press release states that it does not impose restrictions or monitoring of how the donations are spent. The press release also says that the campaign aims to bring together three well-known players in the Bitcoin community to not put one project against the other and to highlight the shared history of the three coins. Jesus. Oh, God. You... Subsidizing shit coinery. Well known indeed, Bcash and BSV have fomented much discussion and times unrest with within Bitcoin's mosaic community. As the network's first coin split, Bcash creation Bcash's creation on, in August of 2017 stoked tension in an ongoing scaling discussion and continues to spark hot debates between its followers and the Bitcoin faithful. BSV, which forked from Bitcoin ugh, Bcash in November 2018 added a bit of an absurdist fuel to the always flickering fires of Bitcoin's fork wars. In its bid for inclusion and community reconciliation, OKCoin included the two forks, even though their developer activity lags significantly behind Bitcoin's. This is ostensibly the reason for the vote, as the allocation of resources should mirror community support for the projects. But the vote will be conducted through OKCoin accounts. Pay attention, people. This is me talking. Pay attention to that sentence and the rest of this. But the vote will be conducted through OKCoin accounts. So this may exclude people who don't use the exchange. Moreover, OKCoin didn't elucidate how it plans to curb double or multi-voting. OKCoin has KYC, but you could theoretically fabricate an account using someone else's identity. And questions still remain as to how OKCoin plans to distribute the donations. Per Lombroso's comments that such FOSS funding campaigns struggle to remain fair and sustainable, distribution, voting collection, and a centralized decision-making process by which developers are eligible for the rewards all expose the weak points of such fundraising. At the time of publication, OKCoin had not responded to Bitcoin Magazine's questions and requests for direct comment. So... Is it possible? I don't know. This is, I don't like it. 
I just don't. I'm sorry, man. I mean, toxic ma- maximalism aside, BCH and BSV are dead ends. They're dead ends. They're dead ends. They're dead ends. And there's no reason to put shove money into a freaking black hole. And the fact that they've done this makes me have a couple of questions. And the first is, are they trying to get a whole bunch of new people to register for, for okay coin accounts so that they can simply vote because you can't vote unless you have an okay coin account. And in my opinion, this entire thing is bullshit. And again, I remind, I remind people reputations are flammable. Stay away from, from, uh, sources of open ignition. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little, uh, little, uh, I'm a little worried about what's going to come fall out of this thing and not worried, not worried for Bitcoin, but kind of worried for the community because it's like just one more salt rock rubbed into a wound that is just not being allowed to fricking close. And the more times that this shit happens, the longer this road becomes. And I'm kind of tired of this crap. Craig Wright is a fraud. BSV needs to die. Roger has been defrauding people on Bitcoin.com for over a year, probably, I think, to actually two years. BCH needs to die. It's that simple. It's just whatever. But in either event... In other chicanery, uh, IMF chief Christine Lagarde encourages open cryptocurrency regulation. This is by Adrian Zmunsky, writing for Cointelegraph, and this is this morning. European Central Bank president candidate and International Monetary Fund chief Christine Lagarde stated on September the 4th that central banks and financial supervisors should protect consumers, but also be open to innovations such as cryptocurrencies. During her opening statement shared with Cointelegraph in an IMF press release, Lagarde told the Economic and Monetary Affairs Affairs Committee of the European Parliament that central banks and financial regulators should be open to the opportunity offered by change. Hmm, She noted, quote, In the case of new technologies, including digital currencies, that means being alert to risks in terms of financial stability, privacy, or criminal activities. You know it was coming, guys. And ensuring appropriate regulation is in place to steer technology towards the public good. Bullshit. But it also means recognizing the wider social benefit from innovation and allowing them space to develop, end quote. She also promised that if she were to become the ECB president, her priorities would be commitment to the institution's mandate and agility, inclusiveness, and diversity. (laughs) All while focusing on making sure that the institutions would properly adapt to the rapidly changing environment. As Cointelegraph reported in February, Lagarde claimed at at the time that regulation of cryptocurrencies is inevitable and necessary on an international level. Please regulate all the shit coins into the ground. Just go ahead and do it. April said she or April, she also said that blockchain innovators are shaking the traditional financial world and having a clear impact on incumbent players. So is this capitulation? I don't know. I think it's I think it is a statement that's designed to to me what well, I don't know what it was designed for, but what it screams to me is they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. 
They do know that they have almost no time to catch up, and it's probably almost impossible to wrap their heads around what's going on. And I think what's going on is a worldwide movement of people basically just having their fill of the last 100 years of the crappiest monetary policy experiments this world has ever seen, and hopefully moving forward, will have ever seen. That the future, my children can look back at this time and go, geez, these people were just dumb. All right, Jimmy Aki, he's writing for Bitcoin Magazine that Thai crypto exchange bx.in.th shuts down. This was uh, written on September the se- on September second. It says, "Oh, let's see, Bitcoin Bitcoin Company Limited." A popular crypto exchange in Thailand is shuttering its services in a company announcement last updated on September the 2nd, 2019. The exchange claimed that the closure will allow it to focus on other business opportunities. (laughs) Mining. It instructed customers to withdraw their funds as deposits and trading would be disabled from September 6th and 30, respectively. The exchange has urged customers to withdraw all funds from from the platform before November the 1st. 2019. Quote, we thank our loyal customers for using our BXINTH services over the past five years. Please note that all funds are completely safe and all customers will receive 100% of their funds returned to them. End quote. The exchange concluded. The exchange didn't give any reason for shutting down services. Recent 24-hour trading volume on BXINTH was pegged at just $10 million US, however, and would likely be impacted by the entrance of Huobi Global into the Thai crypto space. So low volumes are across the board. I, I really think people are getting the notion that most of these altcoins are just garbage and they just don't want to trade them. And there's no, there's no way that an exchange can stay open on really low volume because they, they, they make their money on fees. So expect more of this because, you know, the, hopefully the, the complete and utter shuttering of shit coinery is right around the corner, but probably not. Marie Juliet is writing for Cointelegraph. Marshall Islands launches national crypto with, quote, fixed supply. <laughs> Luck. The Marshall Islands has issued a national blockchain-based currency in a bid to, quote, finally acquire monetary independence in a way that reflects Marshallese values. Oh, so it's always fun to find out what people in a certain place are called. Apparently, the people that live in Marshall Islands are the Marshallese. Pretty cool, man. The issuance of the Marshallese Sovereign was announced in an essay by the Honorable David Paul, Minister in Assistance to the President and Environment of the Marshall Islands, published by Coindesk on September the 4th. What? When was Oh, yeah, that's right. This was this morning. The Marshall Islands had passed the Sovereign Currency Act in 2018, declaring its intent to release a new national digital currency. The nation, which has been independent since 1979, has until now been using the United States dollar as the official currency for all payments, debts, public charges, taxes, and dues. The state's reliance on U.S. grants is estimated to total around $70 million each year, as Cointelegraph reported earlier this year. In his essay, 
Minister Paul, <laughs> Minister Paul outlines that the island's choice to issue a second legal tender based on blockchain technology was based on a conviction that centralized solutions are not workable in a country of a little over 50,000 people spread across over 1,000 Pacific islands. God, could you imagine? What a... I don't know. It actually sounds kind of cool, but whatever. Beyond decentralization, blockchain offers the current the country the possibility of having compliance baked into the currency protocol itself, in the minister's words, while maintaining privacy for individuals. Don't count on it, people. The technology, he notes, allows the state to automate much of its compliance obligations, lowering the costs associated with existing systems and thus helping it make take a more proactive role in the global fight against money laundering and you guessed it, financing of terrorism. This, whatever. Approved entities such as banks or exchanges will be tasked with verifying the identity of SOV's users, thereby closing anonymity loopholes. Yet, the minister writes, the country will aim to protect financial privacy as far as po- possible, arguing that, quote, it is crucial that individual users should have a reasonable expectation of privacy, specifically the ability to choose when to disclose your information, what exactly to share, and with whom. Does that include payments? <clears throat> Minister Paul outlines that the SOV will have a fixed tamper-proof money supply and that its growth will be predetermined at 4% a year. Well, that's inflation. That's not a fixed money supply, unless this is just a terribly written sentence, which I doubt. Uh, he argues that, quote, we chose to create a fixed money supply with fixed growth. No. No. We chose to create a fixed money supply with fixed growth. Just let that roll around in your head. Just for like a marble, you know, let it roll back and forth because that's bullshit. We'll try it again. We chose to create a fixed money supply with fixed growth because fiat currencies can be remarkably unstable. The policies of major central banks are not reassuring as the gold and Bitcoin prices attest. We as governments need to take a more sustainable approach to money and not treat it as a limitless resource. Other aspects of the essay point to the fact that fiat remittance services are currently extremely expensive for citizens, something that frictionless blockchain technology systems can help mitigate. As recently reported, China is now readying itself to launch a central bank-backed blockchain-based digital currency for use in retail scenarios. So there you go. Marshall Islands getting into uh, nation-state-level shit coinery. In other news, Tether market cap hits all-time high. This is Kieran Smith writing for Brave New Coin, September the 3rd. As is often the case with Tether, the reasons behind the recent growth are complex and multifaceted. Some suggest the surge is related to recent adjustments on the Tether network with tokens migrating from the Bitcoin second-layer protocol Omni to a range of other blockchains, including Ethereum and Tron. Another key factor is demand from China, where merchants and traders use Tether to sidestep strict capital controls and to gain unfettered access to global markets. USDT is used for approximately half of all transactions on Asian exchanges such as Huobi and Binance. For most of its five-year lifetime, Tether has been confined to the Omni network, but over the last few months, different versions of the stablecoin have been pushed out to multiple blockchains, though 2.5... Of the 4.1 billion tokens are still on the Omni network, the remaining 1.6 are now distributed across other top blockchains, including EOS and Ethereum. Smaller sidechains 
like Blockstream's Liquid Network and the Bitcoin Lightning Network and niche networks like Algorand, the proof, the pure proof of stake blockchain founded by MIT professor Silvio Macaulay Shitcoiner. Anecdotal reports confirm that demand stemming from these new networks could be one source of the Tether growth, as highlighted in July when $5 billion in Tether was, quote, accidentally minted on the Tron blockchain after a Tether team member fat fingered a decimal point on a $50 million transfer. While Tether is not issued has not issued an official statement giving reasons for the growing market cap. Coinmetrics claim it could be spurred by deficiencies on the Omni network, which is reported to suffer from a lack of active development. The biggest recipient of the new tokens has been Ethereum, and the data analysis firm State of the Network report concludes that strong growth in Tether total supply can be almost all attributed to Ethereum. USDT slash ETH active addresses the count of unique addresses that were active in the network as a recipient or originator of a ledger change skyrocketed over the past week, jumping from 38,000 on August the 19th to 78,000 on August the 23rd. Major exchanges making the switch from Omni to Ethereum-based Tether tokens include Binance, which announced last month that it would remove Omni-based Tether addresses and Poloniex, which said it would shift to Ethereum so users can benefit from faster and cheaper transactions. Not for long. Tether is thought to be responsible for at least 40% of all transactions on Binance alone and with other big exchanges supporting the transition. The Ethereum-based vision or version of Tether has gained significant momentum. Data from Coinmetrics shows that despite the fact that over 60% of Tether tokens remain on the Omni network, the number of transactions made using Tether on Ethereum has now surpassed the number of transactions on the Omni-based equivalent. Whatever shall they do when that thing finally fills up and dies? So Tether looks like it's on a tear. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I've flip-flopped back and forth as to whether or not I think this is a shit coin or not. And I, I'm going to go ahead and just continue to call it a shit coin. But it seems to be the shit coin that actually has some utility because it's being used. I can't argue with its usage. I can argue with the fact, I can argue with, I guess, making art, and I can't even make the argument that it shouldn't be used. All I can look at is the usage and go, well, generally speaking, that means that there's, you know, some utility behind it. But there, the, therein lies the trap. I mean, is there any real utility of the fact that uh, BSV and, and BCH have active transactions? Because we know that, we know that those are just awful, awful instantiations of actual Bitcoin. Tether, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm at the point now where I'm looking at it, and I think that this is actually real-world usage. It's being used a lot. The fact that it's being used a lot on Ethereum should worry the Ethereum guys because even Vitalik's saying that the his blockchain is almost full. And it's so bad that they're actually going to have to introduce Ethereum 2.0 because apparently the first one didn't work. But that's okay. Guaranteed the second one will be just fine. Sorry, I'm, I'm working myself up here. Dutch Central Bank to supervise crypto companies. Uh, Landon Manning is writing this for Bitcoin Magazine as of September the 3rd. The Bank... Sorry, 
There's no way I can pronounce that. The Central Bank of the Netherlands has announced that private firms catering to the cryptocurrency community in the region will soon come under its direct supervision. The DNB's exact relationship to the Dutch government is somewhat complicated. Founded in 1818 as a private corporation, the DNB is directly owned by shareholders, with the actual shares themselves purchased on the stock market rather than issued to specific individuals. Nevertheless, as part of the series of agreements that keeps the European Union's overall economy running, the DNB is an important member of the European system of central banks, which is a core asset of governmental financial policy across the continent. In other words, any new policy on cryptocurrency endorsed by the DNB is not necessarily an indicator of the Dutch government's future stance on Bitcoin, but there is strong correlation. This seems especially relevant as the Dutch state has treated the cryptocurrency community with suspicion and has taken a cautious outlook for several years. On September the 3rd, 2019, the DMB announced that by January 2020, all firms offering services for the exchange between virtual money and regular money and crypto wallet providers will find themselves beholden to the DMB's direct supervision. The bank invited these firms to get into contact with DMB now to help ensure a smooth transition to full compliance. GFY. That's me. Sorry. Just because I, you know, that entire paragraph right there is the problem. These people still think, and they're going to, they're going to be able to exercise control. Don't get me wrong. They're going to be able to exercise control, but like Bruce Lee is, you know, we've been seeing the, the Bruce Lee meme be like water a lot lately. There's probably a reason that meme is coming up. The more they tighten their grip, the more star systems are going to slip through their fingers. I tweeted that out a couple of days ago. And it's just like it's just like trying to squeeze mud or God forbid straight up water. It it you can hold it in your hand, but that's not putting the squeeze on it. Now governments and regulation things around the world are starting to have been squeezing for a while and all that's happening is they're losing more and more. And once free and open uh, source software really started to come into play with, you know, Linus Torvald and then now Bitcoin, um, they're losing control and I think they're getting a little scared. So just be aware. But that that one paragraph by itself should scare, not scare the piss out of you, but should illustrate that they have, they're starting to have the piss scared out of them. Okay. For any cryptocurrency exchange, wallet provider, or similar business operating in the Netherlands, registration with the DMB will now be mandatory. This will involve a background check on board members and major shareholders, as well as an investigation into whether or not these actors are performing effectively at keeping money launderers and international terrorists off their platforms. After these hurdles have been cleared to the DMB satisfaction, the businesses will be able to run more or less normally with the bank's ongoing supervision. Reflecting the unique relationship between national governments, private corporations, and greater EU public initiatives, the DMB is not exactly taking on this responsibility under its own initiative. The supervision will include compliance with the fifth anti-money laundering directive, AMLD5, a risk assessment carried out in mid-2018 on behalf of European Commission, an organ of the EU. By July 2019, the Dutch House of Representatives formally moved to adopt the recommendations of the AMLD5 and has now led the DMB to issue a timetable for private firms to comply with this move. Ideally, 
the private crypto firms of the Netherlands should be able to meet these new requirements smoothly within the timetable provided still. This system of collaboration in which multiple disparate bodies laid down such regulations together might prove troublesome in the future. Should either the EU or member state governments of private banks like this one grow more hostile in their outlook on Bitcoin and it probably will. So there you go. There's all that. And let's let's just do this one last one. Because this has been getting a uh, you know a little bit of uh, a little bit of hate and and rightly so, human trafficking expert urges U.S. Congress to regulate crypto miners <laughs> because apparently miners are human traffickers. Let, let's figure out what Nicholas Day is saying, writing on September the third. Cryptocurrencies are helping to facilitate human trafficking and thus should be regulated far more heavily than at present. An expert witness will tell a U.S. Senate subcommittee today in written testimony. David Murray, vice president for product development and services at Financial Integrity Network, recommended that Congress create a new class of regulated financial institutions known as virtual asset transaction validators, i.e. crypto miners. These validators would have to know who they are dealing with, just like other financial institutions, but very much unlike today's miners. Quote, for these essential actors in cryptocurrency transactions, such a regulatory regime would emphasize counterparty financial institution due diligence, Murray said in his remarks, to be delivered before a hearing on human trafficking at the Subcommittee on National Security and International Trade and Finance, part of the Senate Banking Committee. Quote, the lack of system-wide financial crimes compliance governance for some existing cryptocurrencies allows criminals space to operate and makes it difficult for the United States to isolate rogue service providers from the United States financial system, he said. A former director of the Office of Illicit Finance at the Treasury Department, Murray argued that miners must, at the very least, govern who can participate in the networks and vet any issuers, exchanges, or custodians they serve. Mining is not currently regulated under the Bank Secrecy Act, quote, but virtual asset transaction validators could be gatekeepers for virtual asset systems if they are brought into the scope of the BSA, said Murray, whose Washington, D.C.-based firm advises financial institutions and governments on combating, you guessed it, money laundering. Again, this would be a very different this would be very different from the current state of affairs in public blockchain networks which anyone can join without permission, but the openness of such systems makes them useful to criminals including human traffickers, Murray argued. Quote, the the trend toward decentralized and autonomous systems threaten our ability to control access to the United States financial system and there it is right there. Control of access. Why do I need this guy controlling my access? Why? Continuing on. Two other expert witnesses in the subcommittee hearing, Nebraska State Attorney General Douglas Peterson and Nebraska State Senator Julie Slama. Actually, no, S-L-A-M-A. Slama. Oh, I like that name. That's, that's, a, that's a great wrestling name right there. Julie Slama also brought up the use of cryptocurrency and human trafficking in their prepared remarks. Regulating miners, the way Murray described, 
would be tantamount to prohibiting them from participating on public blockchain networks, said Peter Van Valkenburg, director of research at the Washington-based think tank Coin Center. Quote, it's couched as regulating, but what it would be is an effective ban on American persons or businesses using open blockchain networks because it would require them to use it on a permissioned basis, Van Valkenburg told Coindesk, adding, quote, it's just a ban on a whole type of technology, end quote, and that's absolutely 100% correct. Murray even seems to acknowledge this in his testimony, which reads, quote, imposing regulations on people and entities who perform these functions almost certainly would make it difficult for some existing implementations of blockchain-based payments to continue operating as they do today, end quote. However, he adds that the Bank Secrecy Act's job is not to enable or accommodate all manner of financial products and services, regardless of the threat that they pose to financial transparency. Van Valkenburg argued that such a ban would be counterproductive to the goal of nabbing criminals. Quote, from a policy standpoint, the fact that this technology has been legal and available has been a boon to law enforcement because major American companies play a role in these networks like Coinbase and Kraken and other exchanges because they cooperate with law enforcement, end quote, he said. Van Valkenburg also noted that anonymous payments can have legitimate uses. Cash, for example, while used in private transactions by criminals, is also being used by protesters in Hong Kong who are concerned that the Chinese government might trace their steps on the way to protest sites, he concluded. Quote, the Internet is used for all kinds of crime. But if in 1998 we said, let's ban the Internet because it's used for crime, the United States would have suffered. Oh, suffered isn't even remotely close to the word that would have actually happened. We would have been a third world backwater shithole within decades. A couple of them. I mean, come on, man. It would have just been it would have been the dumbest thing in the world. Just like this is dumb. All this is, is that it's the narrative. We've, how many times, I've read like several stories to you today. How many of them include money laundering and international terrorism? Damn near all of them. Now what you're going to see is human trafficking being added to the narrative. Now it already has, it's already been there, but I have a sense that we're going to see more stories written with human trafficking and money laundering and international uh, terrorism and all with, and it's just, they're just building a basket of bullshit to feed you so that you stay in their system. And what was, re- and, and a, somebody on Twitter reminded me that it, that it's very important to always remind yourselves that the United States is one country out of a couple of hundred in the world. And all this would do is drive miners somewhere else and they will go open up their shit in Mexico or some Central American company country or a Canada or South America. And that would help. That would actually help their economies, which is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I banning this stuff is you're, you're, you're playing, you're playing a real fool's game by even suggesting this, this technology is going to explode all over the place and nobody can stop it. And the people that try can only stop it within their own damn borders. Now that's not to say that we can't send out one of our 11 or 12 carrier fleets that we have and go bomb the living crap out of somebody else. Like we've been doing for the last, couple of decades but for the but there's only 11 you can only you can only bomb 11 countries at a time 
You got a couple of hundred to go. I don't think that that's going to work. And with that, that's your morning roundup. All right, vital statistics. Oh, God. You know, for like the last five day or you know last week that I have been been remiss in giving you guys your daily dose of Bitcoin and while wow, the price is just on a roller coaster ride as everybody knows but right now Bitcoin is at ten thousand four hundred and fifty dollars it is now nine forty three a.m central daylight time I think it's always good to timestamp every price ever so right now it's nine forty three ten thousand four hundred fifty okay Where's my low? Where's my low? Where's my low? My low is going to be over at HitBTC at 10425 And it looks like I got a high at FNX over at, or over at FNX at 10456 So about a $30 trading range is what I'm looking at. 331,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours, with 13,800 being made on average per hour. 1.1 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with an average cent per hour of just under 50,000 BTC. Average transaction value is 3.5 BTC and the median transaction value is at 0.027 BTC or right around 280 bucks. We got slightly longer block times at 10 minutes and 22 seconds and we have a hash rate gain. My God almighty. A hash rate gain of 6.64% in the last 24 hours, bringing us up to 85.5 exahashes per second. And if you've been living under a rock over the last couple of days, we've we've punched through yet another all-time high in hash rate. It's just soaring. I don't know if this is good or not. Ansel Lindner usually said, I think that hash rate is a, a lag. For him, it is a lagging indicator and I, I don't know it this this is just kind of kind of weird it's just hash rate has just exploded and i'm not sure why and, and you know there's been a couple stories out that i've talked about um over the past few weeks that or a couple of weeks ago that i was talking about a company that had just received like all their ant miners and and apparently turned them all on at once and pointed them all to the bitcoin network and boom so this it may be a situation where people are just now getting their shipments. So just, you know, be aware. It looks like the, uh, let's see, last GitHub commit was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 176. Bcash is at 294. Litecoin is at 67. BSV is at 131. Ethereum Classic is at $6.73. And Dogecoin is at 0. 0.0026. And it's 24, 25,000 transactions does not beat anything. Actually, it doesn't even beat Litecoin right now. So there you go. Uh, let's get into the mempool and see what's going on here. Looks like we're kind of deep. Yeah, we're 14, we're, we're 13 blocks deep with 22,000 unconfirmed transactions and a mempool size of 14 megabytes. And Average block size is 1.2. That's pretty much the normal 1.2 megabytes, which is pretty much normal. Anyway, so that's going to do it for your vitals.
All right. Today's song of the day is going to be Molly Cruz, Dr. Feelgood. I've already played this song on one of the uh, on one of the earlier episodes. So why the hell am I playing it again? Because as of today, it was announced on ultimateclassicrock.com and this is Marty Kilty writing today. Motley Crue announces Dr. Feelgood 30th anniversary edition. Uh, wow. Motley Crue have released a teaser clip of, for the 30th anniversary edition of their classic album, Dr. Feelgood, which will arrive on November the 29th. The short video reveals that the reissue includes new packaging, a deluxe edition containing a colored vinyl LP. God, I hate colored vinyl. Three picture discs, a doctor's bag, prescription notepad, bandages, and more. The, the video notes that the album's achievements, including its status as the band's best-selling album and the first to and the first to top the Billboard 200 chart, as well as its six times platinum North American sales and two Grammy nominations. You can watch the clip below, clips included. Quote, after feeling robbed of a number one album with Girls, 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 the band was hell-bent on topping themselves on every level, bassist Nikki Six explained in a statement. Bringing in Bob Rock to produce and push us musically and lyrically was just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> the band was clean, lean, and sober, and this album has was some of our proudest work, end quote. The statement noted that in addition to being the biggest album the ba- in the, of the band's career, Dr. Feelgood has had tremendous effect on pop culture. Inspired by Nikki Six's near-death overdose, the autobiographical autobiograph- kickstart My Heart dives into the band's sobriety. Over the last 30 years, Six has used his platform to be part of the drug awareness and recovery con- uh, conversation, an issue which continues to be more relevant than ever today. A new line of Dr. Feelgood apparel, swag, Featuring the album's iconic artwork will be for sale during the upcoming anniversary celebrations. As the statement pointed out, Motley Crue have played a key role in the fashion culture of the 80s. Their iconic imagery continues to be a staple with rock apparel and fashion brands. So there's that press release of 30 years ago, 30 freaking years ago. This album came out. My God, I can't believe it's been 30 years. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Take it away, guys.
Jay's daily train wreck is older, but it you know it's it's relevant. Uh, it's brought to you by your good friend Kevin Fam via our very good friend at Inverse Bra. What is Kevin saying today? Well, let's 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 find out. Inability to change your mind implies inability to learn. My ability to learn is why I went from Bitcoiner to shitcoiner to BTC maximalist fundamentalist to hodl all forks agnostic to BSV status, and I'm ready to drop BSV and adopt whatever inevitably comes next. See, this is the shit that I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So clearly, this is the best way to preserve wealth. Just drop your financial instrument for the next shiny financial instrument ad infinitum. What could possibly go wrong? That was the retweet I, I did of that a few days ago uh, because this is why shit coinery sucks. If Bitcoin fails because, and I've said it before, if Bitcoin fails because another blockchain supplants it in overall wealth that's in that chain and it's worth more per coin and there's just as many coins which would give it a, a type of you know like the same kind of market cap um then how long will it take for that chain to be supplanted and then that chain they'll get bitcoin's been around for 10 years nobody's topped it if somebody does, it will not take another 10 years to top that one because now trust is broken. Not trust as much as uh, confidence. Yeah, li- li- confidence would be broken as to, well, but is my stuff safe in this one? And then another one will come out. And then another one will come out. And then everybody keeps jumping ship. And the only thing that you're going to end up doing is transferring your wealth to a bunch of people that are fucking scammers. That's all that's going to happen. If you don't want to be scammed, you stay with, you stay with the Bitcoin chain. Everybody else is just going to scam you out of your money or your Bitcoin rather in either event. This, this is, this is why people fight so hard to tell people to stop messing around with shit coins. You know, I've already, I've already, I, I looked at, I was, when I was uh, doing the changeover to this particular segment, I just happened to scan my notifications on Twitter and I've, I've already gotten shit because I responded to that whole thread about okay coin and it's vote on you know, giving a thousand BTC to, you know, like BTC, BSV and BCH developers because BSV and BCH are involved. I I don't like it It, because it's just perpetuating a scam. It's not helping. You're not helping. You think you're helping, but you're not, you're not helping anything. So that's, and, and, and Kevin here in this particular tweet demonstrates that, that he's willing to just jump and jump and jump and jump and jump. How likely are you going to be able to time that and not lose your wealth? How likely you can't, I, these people, I, there are, there's a lot of really good traders, a lot, but there's more really shitty traders, which I would be one if I traded and trying to time just that by itself is hard enough. Could you imagine trying to time when to sell the top of your chain so that you can put it into the next up and coming chain? And it's not an issue of trading, but this is where you're going to try to store your value. Could you imagine laying awake 
with that kind of crap going on. This is why I only stay with Bitcoin. I, I don't have time for your shit coinery. There's your smoldering pile, shit coining in the corner, and we're just going to leave it there. Okay, today's uh, terrible joke corner is brought to you by Jeff MySpace, who says vampires hate big businesses because of all the stakeholders. Well, hell, I'm just going to let that one stand on its own without saying having any commentary whatsoever. That is a high quality terrible joke right there. So, okay. Now that that's done, we finished up another show that was episode 133 of Bitcoin. And I was actually going to talk about, uh, not talk about, uh, go through the, the cooking of what's called the spatchcocked chicken. But if I do, it's going to turn what I'm trying to target as an hour long show into a much longer show. No, 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 no I'm not going to do that to you. So I'm going to bring you spatchcocked chicken probably Friday, something like that. But uh, to finish this one off uh, with something food, food note worthy, whatever, uh, I've already out of my first batch of 12 quarts of pickles. If you had been following my Instagram, which actually pushes over to to my Twitter feed, um, I had a picture a couple of, you know, a few weeks ago. I think think I only made it four weeks or something like that before I had to actually drop in an entire new load of pickles, which is now gurgling in the corner of my kitchen counter. Um, That's how many pickles we go through. Now, why am I talking about it? Because of the following. Because I'm buying spices off the shelf, and I need like, I think I need six different ones or, or seven different ones. Uh, the little, you know, you go to the grocery store, you go to the spice aisle, they're like little two ounce jars, you know, one ounce, you know, little glass things or whatever. Um, yeah, those things can run like six bucks a pop, right? To make matters worse, I got to buy cucumbers and in the, ba- like the little cucumbers in the bags because I didn't get, uh, I didn't get my ass off my chair and start gardening this year. So I don't have any of my own cucumbers and those things run four bucks a pop and I need 12 of them. You know, what's coming next. The question I have to ask myself is why the hell am I spending probably five times more per pickle than what I can pick up in the shelf in the grocery store? The answer kind of is this. If you pick up pickles, whether they say kosher or not, off of a room temperature uh, store shelf, even if they had been actually fermented, the kosher ones, I don't think they can say that they're kosher unless they actually are kosher. And they, as far as I know, they have to be fermented. However, if they keep them, if if there's a live culture of bacteria in that jar and it's on the shelf, it's going to continue to ferment under pressure and it will explode those jars. So the only thing that they can do is filter somehow or another, filter off, you know, all the, 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 uh, bacteria or hit it with some kind of lethal dose of something that kills the bacteria so that it will not continue to ferment that, that it's not a pickle. 
that not that's just that's just that's way too processed. Probably need to stay away from it. You can get pickles that are true kosher dills or kosher sour or or rather sours that are refrigerated. Those end up being fairly expensive themselves. Also, the reason I am going to continue to do this, even though I'm five xing my you know how much a, a freaking pickle costs is because I get to control the ingredients. So how do I affect this moving forward? Uh, the only thing that I can do on one side, the spice side, is to buy in bulk. So I'm going to find myself a bulk spice company and buy in bulk because it's so much cheaper. It's so much cheaper, it's not even funny. Second, either grow my own cucumbers, which can only happen part-time out of the year, or source you know, source a farmer or something like that, which again puts me into the situation where I can only make them, you know, sometimes during the year. And then during the winter, I'm not going to be able to make pickles. And as I've already said, these are not something in a live active ferment that you can put in a jar and put on uh, like your pantry shelf at room temperature because it will end up being a mess. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure that, that you guys knew that when I'm suggesting making pickles, understand that you're not going to save money. That's not the point. The point is controlling your own flavors, controlling your own fermentation to where it is that you want it and cultivating the bacteria that are in your area instead of some other geographic location. Why? Well, that's going to be a discussion for another time not going to get into it here because we're about one hour and three minutes in and it's time to end this with the usual, even I'm trying to be nice to people, but be nice to people, especially or, or, or at least maybe take a deep breath, especially with this whole okay coin thing. It's pissing people straight off. I'm not pissed. I don't like it, but I'm not pissed. And I'm, going to try really hard, real hard, not to engage in a negative fashion with this situation. That doesn't mean that I still don't like it because I don't. It's think it's stupid, but whatever. Anyway, y'all be careful navigating Twitter with this stuff and, and, and the, the general community because it's a hot button issue and it's just, yeah, it looks like it's going to catch on fire and, and probably be an embarrassment and a, a dumpster fire for a lot of people that don't control their emotions. I, I am very vulnerable to this too. So the pledge I'm going to make to myself over the next couple of weeks is to try the damn, my damnedest not to be an asshole because I can be an asshole. And I, I just, that's not the way to go through life is just not anyway. W- with all that said it is hump day Enjoy the downslope to your weekend, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.